0: Would you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139? Uh, The past few weeks, as I've talked with Andrew about worship planning and different songs and things, this psalm, it keeps coming up and quotes from psalms and, and just in how I've personally been thinking about making sense of everything that's going on. And I think that God wants to use this psalm for us as a church to turn our eyes toward Him and refocus us in, in a meaningful way this morning. So let's read this psalm together, verses 1 through 16. Psalm 139, 1 through 16. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, make your name holy in this time and place. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear and hearts to believe. O Jesus, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Now is a time when many are asking some of life's most ultimate questions. Questions about eternity and identity. Illusions of security have been stripped away from many people. And many idols of purpose and identity have also been stripped away. And our understandable anxieties, they're meant, I believe, to lead us to the healing presence of Jesus. And I pray that this this season, it makes many Christians and non-Christians alike more prone to ponder the transcendent and to seek better answers to questions like, who am I? What am I? Why am I here? Do I matter? And I think that these questions are powerfully answered by Psalm 139. Not because it talks primarily about humanity, but because it talks primarily about God and describes attributes and actions of him. That's that's because the, the only way we can rightly understand humanity is by understanding the creator of humanity. It's only in knowing God that we can really know ourselves. So it's only when we have him in his proper place and are celebrating who he is that we can ever truly know who we are. And it's also whenever we truly understand God that we, can only have the, that we can ever have the proper context for how to understand crises and, and the world and people in general. He has put eternity into our hearts that only he can fill. And this psalm, it teaches us some really important things like that our bodies and souls are artwork created by God. Our lives are stories written by God. Our thoughts and deeds are an open book before God. And our entire existence is eternally and inescapably in the presence of God. And if I were just talking about God from this text, I would say some, like, that he is omnipresent, present everywhere. That he is omniscient, all-knowing. That he's omnipotent, all-powerful. But this text it's much more personal than that isn't it i mean it's not just that he knows all things it's that he knows you and he knows you completely it's not just that he's present everywhere it's that he is with you and with you fully and intimately And it's not just that he's all-powerful, but that his power is applied to you and your life. So just like Paul prays in Ephesians 1, that you might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. I love that prayer. God knows you. He is with you and he made you. Those are the things we'll look at from this text this morning. God knows you. God is with you. God made you. So, first, let's look at how God knows you from this text. Verses 1 through 4 says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. One thing I want you to see about All these things that we'll be talking about, these realities about who God is toward us, is that they can be both terrible and wonderful. They can be both fearful and comforting. There's this restricting weight to these realities, but also this wonderfully freeing um, comfort and awe when you understand them rightly. And, and which of those, whether it's the fear or the comfort, takes prominence in your mind and heart, will be determined by your present relationship to God? When you really think about that, it becomes clear, right? Because, like, raise your hand at home if you've ever thought or, or said the phrase, nobody will know. Maybe you're even saying that right now about raising your hand. He you won't know if I raise my hand. Well, if you thought that or said that, You could not have been more wrong. God knew. God knows your thoughts. He knows your heart, your mind. He knows them better than you do yourself. Uh, The host of a podcast I like to listen to, he once brought up this hypothetical. Like He said, you're sitting at home and... You're alone and a knock comes on the door and you, you open the door and there's an official looking man standing there. And the man says to you, I think we both know why I'm here. We know what you did. Let's go. And the point that the podcast host was making is that that scenario is terrifying because most of us, if we get that knock on the door, we will confess to something. Our minds will shoot to something that we have done. Because even though we don't know our hearts completely, we know ourselves well enough to know that uh, we all have done things or thought things or said things that we feel guilty about. And that we would never want anyone to know. And it's terrifying to think that someone would know about it, especially someone with authority. But that is exactly the case, I hope you know. Someone does know. God knows you fully. He knows every dark corner of your life, every dark recess of your mind and heart, and it's a scary thing to be fully known. I mean, that's why we hide. We hide parts of our lives from others out of fear of being exploited or punished or looked down upon or excluded. But what if the one who knows us best doesn't use his knowledge against us but for us. When Audrey and I were going through pre- premarital counseling, we had to read the book, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. And in that book, he says this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. To be truly loved, we must be fully known. And that is why God's love is the truest of all loves. He knows you deeply, personally, intimately. And in an age where we are viewed in increasingly depersonalized ways, This is a comfort. I mean, in our day, you're not so much a a person as you are an email address or a statistic or a consumer or a subscriber or a social media follower. I mean, we're given all these impersonal identities uh, to be used, but to God, you are not just a number or an object to be used. You are wonderful and unique and significant. You are you. And God, he knows you because you're his. And he cares to know you. There's this anonymous quote that circulates around the internet a lot. Um, It's, you know, been reposted a lot, so I assume it, it resonates with a lot of people. And it reads like this. Nobody knows the real me. Nobody knows how many times I've sat in my room and cried. How many times I've lost hope. How many times I've been let down. Nobody knows how many times I've had to hold back the tears. How many times I've felt like I'm about to snap, but don't, just for the sake of others. How many times I've felt like running away. Nobody knows the thoughts that go through my head whenever I'm sad. How horrible they truly are. Nobody knows me. And that's what I hate the most. When I read that, I want to say to the person who wrote it and all those people who like it and reposted it, I want to say to them, you are wrong. Someone does know you and knows all of those things. There is one who knows you and knows you better than you know yourself and cares for you deeply. And if you invite his knowing, submit to it, surrender to it, then you can know him. And knowing him, knowing him is eternal life. That's what Jesus says when he prays to the Father. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is eternal life. God, he knows you, and he wants you to know him. But more than that, God is with you. Verses 7-10 through 10 say, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. See, God is always with you. That word uh, translated presence in that passage, it more literally is face. We shouldn't understand God as being spread out over creation like a a cloud. Rather, he is fully present everywhere. He is fully with you. You are always before his face. And that, this can feel a little overwhelming if you really think about it. Even reading David's description of it in this psalm, he says, if, you, if I go up to the, the stars or if I go down to the place of the dead or if I go as east as the sunrise or as far west as the sea stretches, no matter where I go, you are there. And with his use of the word flee, when he says, like, where shall I flee, uh, you can get a sense of that he's feeling a little claustrophobic, you know, he's... And, and uh, I, I just read a few days ago in, in Job where he, he seems a little frustrated and he says to God, what is man that you make so much of him that you set your heart on him and visit him every morning, test him every moment. How long will you not look away from me nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? Both Job and David, they understood that when you grasp this truth, it really is an intense reality to have every moment of your life before the all-powerful, holy judge over all. It's why Adam and Eve hid in the garden. It's why the kings of the earth in Revelation call mountains and rocks to fall on them and hide them from the face of the one who is on the throne. Because he is holy, and we are not. But this reality is inescapable. You can't hide from God. Even the darkness cannot hide us, David points out. Darkness is not dark to him. There is no refuge from him, only refuge in him. Psalm 46 tells us God is our refuge and our strength, a very present, a very present help in trouble. When we trust God, And we live in that faith. His presence is a graciously freeing comfort to us. That he is with us. I mean, as Christ commissioned us uh, to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded them. He was careful to also tell us with that great responsibility, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is an encouraging, empowering, strengthening truth that ought to shape our lives. God is with you. And the book of Hebrews gives a great example of applying this to our lives in chapter 13 when he says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So, he applies that truth of God's presence with you in two ways. First, he says that we can be content because God is with us. And second, he says we can be fearless because God is with us. He is with you, He's with you when you struggle. He's with you when you hurt. He's with you when you fight for holiness. And he's with you when you fail. He's with you when, as the psalmist says, the darkness covers you. And there is hope because with him, the darkness is not dark to him, but is as light. God is with you, friends. And if you grasp this, it will change your life. Finally, God made you. Look at verses 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. These are such powerful and amazing words. You need to fully and completely recognize that you were made by God. You were made by God. Every part of the fabric of your personhood was carefully knit together by God's creative hands. There was no part of you that was hidden from Him. There was no there were no accidents, no thoughtless moments. Just like David, you too were fearfully and wonderfully made. And I love that it talks about him knitting and weaving us. It's a picture of intimacy and artwork and and craftsmanship. Handmade. The more we know about the human body and find out how incredibly complex and well-designed it is. You are not just a result of biological processes. You are a direct creation of God. Body and soul created by him. That is what David is, is getting at with saying the forming of my inward parts. Every part of you designed and created by God personally. The color of your eyes, the shape of your body, your intellectual and physical gifts. Your hair, your voice, your personality, the color of your skin, your abilities, everything, your spirit, your, your hardwiring is the result of God's glorious creative ability. The mother's womb is God's art studio. And all human beings have this God-given dignity as creatures that he made in his image. And no matter how young or old, no matter what race or level of ability, we need to really let this, this way of thinking, this truth, affect the way we think about our lives and the lives of others. We should let ourselves be shaped by this reality. I mean, it may be familiar that God is creator, but it is important because while many of us worship God as creator on Sunday, during the week, we uh, harbor dissatisfaction with who God has made us to be. You know, we, we all have times in our lives where we secretly wish we could rise to the throne of creation and remake ourselves in the image of what we think we should be and what we would like to be like. But God is wise and he's perfect as a creator and we should trust Him. Because worshipping God as creator also means recognizing that we were made for Him. I mean, if I create a piece of art, it belongs to me as a testament to my artistic ability. And the same is true of, of us. God made us. And so we belong to Him as a testament to His creative glory. Psalm 100 connects these realities when it says it's he who made us and we are his. The fact is that you and I were never meant to live for ourselves, for our own uh, success and glory. Every day, we are meant to live like our lives belong to another. And this I belong to another lifestyle, it, it, it's meant to shape All of our life, our marriages, our parenting, our friendships, our careers, every part of our life. It's meant to shape the way we approach possessions and position, and as a creature, your life belongs to another, to the Creator. Your life belongs to His story. Which we see in verse 16 when David says, In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God's position as creator, it extends over our whole story. Our entire story. He is sovereign. He is in control over our entire life. I know an old preacher who says, God is in control from womb to tomb and beyond and as god's children who love him and trust him we wouldn't have it any other way right we because god is always better than blind fate god is always better than random chance god is always better than our own sinful autonomy and sense of being in control he's better than all of that because he is good we want him to be in control We want him to be in total control because he is wise and he is good. We trust his sovereignty. This means that he made you purposefully. He made you with purpose. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. Your presence here in this world at this moment is not due to coincidence or fate or poor family planning. You are a result of the purposeful, creative work of God which includes a purpose, a mission, a story that fits into his grand design from womb to tomb and beyond. Worshiping God as creator means that we exist through him. He, as creator, he alone is the giver of life and the sustainer of life. True life cannot be found outside of him. The Apostle Paul says, he himself gives all men breath and life and everything else. He is our creator and our sustainer, our constant life source and the provider of everything we need. And when we start to look outside of him for life, we'll become enslaved to whatever we think will give us true life. But it's it's he who made us and we're his. God made you. God is with you. God, he knows you, and he cares for you. And what David only knew in part, we know in full. Christ is all throughout this psalm. When you see Jesus is the, that right hand of God that leads us and holds us. Jesus is, uh, he's, is with you to the end of the age, he says. It's it's Jesus through whom all things were made, including you, it tells us in John 1. Jesus is the creator who bound himself to his creation in love. Jesus is the holy one who saw all of your unholiness and died the death you deserve, took your punishment and your death on himself so that he could make you holy. He's the one who loves you so deeply that his commitment to be with you cannot even be broken by death. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When David talks about being led in the way everlasting at the end of this psalm, that's Jesus. I want you to notice that by the end of this psalm, David is not just stating God's knowledge and presence and leading, he's inviting it. In verses 23 and 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Having been searched, he wants to be searched the more. Having been known, he wants to be known. Having been led, he wants to be led. You see, we too have to to open ourselves up to God like David does here. Quit trying to hide the grievous way in you. Ask God to expose it and turn away from it. Cling to Christ who paid for your sin and follow him in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Our Holy Father, even when the darkness covers us, we know the darkness is not dark to you, for darkness is as light with you. I I pray that you reorient us around you and, and the truth of who you are toward us enlighten the eyes of our hearts to know the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe and the hope to which you've called us thank you lord for knowing us and for loving us for saving us and being with us give us peace and hope in you lord we pray in jesus name amen